This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Tonight's video is brought to you by Universal Yums, a subscription box service starting at just $15 that sends you delicious treats from around the world every month. The box they sent out to me had tons of treats from the UK with places like Scotland, Ireland, and even Wales being featured. All of it was absolutely delicious. With everyone being on lockdown, traveling the world is out of the question. So order a box through the description below and experience the world through your taste buds. And thanks to Universal Yums for sponsoring this video. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Reading Your Scary Stories. I have listened to the feedback, and not a lot of people are a fan of the little um, bits in between each story, so those will no longer be a thing. I will put some type of transitional noise or some type of thing to indicate that a new story has begun. Also, if you look to the right of this video or below the video, if you're on mobile, we are currently raising money for the Trevor Project, which is a charity that helps out with LGBTQ plus communities, um, especially teens and young adults in the LGBTQ plus community, um, dealing with the mental aspect that comes along with um, coming out, um, dealing with denial about yourself, things like that. Um, having recently come out as bisexual to myself, my family and my friends and everyone else, I can understand how many young men and women, uh, struggle to come to terms with that because sometimes the people around you just don't, just aren't as supportive as they should be. So, um, the Trevor Project is an incredible, incredible charity, and um, I'm happy to be raising some money for them. I still believe there is a serial killer in the Jennings area of Louisiana. I was driving to my grandma's in 2010 and pulled over to get gas in Jennings. This was definitely stupid of me because I knew the issues in that area and I was only going to St. Martinville, but I hadn't been paying attention to my gaslight. So I stopped, filled up, and got back on I-10 heading toward Bow Bridge, which is where the turnoff to head through the desolate sugarcane fields toward St. Martinville. I was just pulling on I-10 when what looked to be a police officer started running his blues just behind me, trying to pull me over. I normally would immediately stop, but something told me not to because the car didn't look like the cruisers I was used to, and I knew there was no reason to pull me over. I drove for almost 40 more minutes to my granny's house in the rural outskirts of St. Martinville with this guy tailing me. I pulled into her driveway because I didn't know what else to do, and he approached my window. I kept my doors locked and the windows up and laid on the horn. My uncle, who was living with my grandparents at the time to care for them, came out and confronted him. Instead of behaving like a normal police officer, he ran to his car and drove away. It haunts me to this day. I do think that I came close to being a victim. I reported it to the state police, but I'll never know whether they took me seriously, but I'm always more careful about where I stop for gas now. There were actual parish police in that gas station, but that guy's car looked nothing like theirs. I was home alone. My husband had gone down to listen to a friend of ours play guitar at a local bar not far from our home. I was invited, but not feeling well, I had chosen to stay and had told my husband to go and have a good time. I enjoy reading at bedtime, and that night I was lying in bed enjoying a book when I heard a car pull up outside. The way our house is set up, I have a large deck around my back and my bedroom is attached to it with an access through a set of large sliding glass doors. As it was summertime, I had left the curtains open and had pushed the door about halfway open to enjoy the evening air and the sound of frogs in the lake not far away. 
The car I heard, I assumed, was my husband and our friend Tom returning. We have a large driveway, and it sounded like I had thought they'd pulled up somewhere where my husband could get out of the car and come in through the bedroom. Some of you from big cities might think that this sounds very dangerous and crazy, but we live in West Virginia in a very small town. It's very safe here, and everyone knows everyone. I saw the headlights from an incoming car from the corner of my eye. I heard the sound of two car doors shutting. Then came the sound of voices. This gave me pause, and I sat my book aside. It was late at night, probably around midnight, I guess. I thought that Tom would drop off my hubby and leave, as that was the usual thing they did on their nights like this, as it was too late for visitors. What were they doing out there? I strained my ears to try and make out what they were saying, but it was indecipherable. I sat there in my bed, covers pulled to my waist, propped up on all my pillows as I liked to recline while reading, and I began to shift through the different voices I heard, and counted them. There should have been two, Tom and my husband. I know my husband's voice very, very well. We had been married over 20 years when this happened, and although I couldn't make out what he was saying, that was his voice. I was certain. I could hear Tom. His tone was higher, not as low and deep as my husband's, but distinct in a way I can't explain, but I recognized it clearly as Tom's out there as well. But there was another voice I couldn't make out, different from them both, and then another. It began to sound like there were a party of people that climbed out of that car were on my deck chatting. No voices were raised. No one sounded happy with laughter or even angry with shout. It was just this low murmur of many voices talking and talking. My curiosity was raised. Who was out there with my husband and what were they all doing? Just standing around chatting? I pushed back to the covers with a sigh. Having my quiet night with a book disturbed by a group of people coming home from a bar was not my idea of fun. When I stood up, I looked down at what I was wearing. Summer sleepwear for me is usually a baggy t-shirt and shorts. I wasn't indecent, so I reached for my glasses I had left on my end table, put them on, and rounded my side of the bed to approach the sliding glass door and whatever revelry was going on outside. When I reached the foot of our bed, I was facing the glass door. Now, keep in mind I'm blind as a bat. Coke-bottled rim glasses and all, so I tend to walk looking down at my feet to see where I'm going. So I didn't look up at the glass until I had gotten to the foot of the bed. But when I did, what I saw, it gives me chills to this day writing this now. It stopped me dead right in my tracks. My husband was looking in the glass door at me. At least that was my first thought and first impression. His face was so close to the glass, his nose was almost touching it. And I almost spoke up and said something in a laughing tone like, What are you doing, trying to scare me? But I didn't say that out loud, because in the next heartbeat, my thought was that. Whatever that was, was not my husband. Don't get me wrong, it looked just like him. Dark hair going a little gray at the temples, green eyes that sparkle with laughter most of the time. Except for this time. The eyes are what I noticed first. They seemed cold, dead, and lifeless. Not right at all. And then I noticed a smile. It was no smile, more of a smirk. I've told this story to friends and family over the years, and I always struggle with the description, but I will try because it is important to make you understand how frightening it was to experience. That smile was menacing, malevolent. It spoke of evil and pain and every bad thought you have ever had. It was not my husband. Whatever was looking in the glass back at me, meeting me in the eye, was evil incarnate. I knew that instinctively, and I had left the door open. It wasn't all the way open, only about six inches maybe, but I wondered immediately as I was frozen staring at this thing if it could get in. The whole incident probably took place in less than ten minutes, but to me it felt like it took forever. I was frozen, staring it in the eye, terrified to look away and I really didn't want to draw its attention to where the door was cracked open, not three feet from where I stood. I was debating what to do. Make a run for the door? Hope I can get there first and slam it shut? Scream my head off? Try to call for help? Luckily, while I was debating, 
this thing began to fade away. It didn't step back into the darkness of the night air, it just faded, slowly, until the last thing I saw, it was that evil grin that faded last. It reminded me of the Cheshire Cat. I stood there at the foot of my bed for probably ten more minutes, trying to get up the nerve to go shut the damn door. Finally, I got my frozen limbs to move, and I did just that. I slammed the door closed, locked it, thought of pulling the curtains closed, but I was afraid it might come back and I wouldn't have been able to see it if it did. About 30 minutes later, my husband came home, and I cannot tell you how happy I was to see him. I don't know what I thought. Maybe that that thing, whatever it was, had taken over his body, like in Body Snatchers or something. It might seem silly, but back when we were in our teens and dating, we came up with a safe word, something that only we know. A way to make sure that we are each other. Seemed silly when we made it up then. Wasn't silly that night when I asked him that night what the word was. I was so relieved he knew it. So relieved to see his smile looking warm and loving again. I'll never forget that night. And the scariest ten minutes of my life. Like I said, a decade has passed since then. There were a lot more scary incidents, but a lot of good moments too. We discovered what the thing was, and eventually got rid of it. If you would like, I'd be happy to continue with my story and give you a full account of what we jokingly refer to as the cowboy now. But, that's a story for another day. I went to go visit my dad yesterday, and he told me something that happened to him last weekend. I was shocked to hear him tell me this, as he usually never talks about these kinds of things, like ghosts, etc. However, I will be telling the story in first person, but first, some background. My grandparents live in the countryside. They are mostly surrounded by fields, and the houses are not close to each other. My grandfather broke his hip a while ago, and my grandmother has been taking care of him. My dad has been visiting frequently to make sure that they are doing okay. Last weekend, it was my grandmother's birthday, and my dad decided to go through to visit. Here is the story. I was visiting my parents for my mother's birthday to check up on them. Due to the distance from my place to theirs, I decided to stay the night. Usually, I get up in the middle of the night to have a quick smoke, and I usually don't finish it. I'd take a few pulls and nip it for later. This specific night, I got up in the middle of the night to have my smoke. I was standing outside on the porch. Just to give a quick description to everyone, when you stand outside on my grandparents' porch, you are surrounded by fields and trees. On the left is my grandmother's little garden, and in front of you, fields and the dirt road to enter their property. As I was standing on the porch, I heard movement in the bushes, almost like something was moving or walking around. I didn't think much of it, but obviously being curious, I looked out to the spot where the noise was coming from. I saw this large thing standing almost as high as a wolf, almost higher, and it looked like it had the face of a baboon. Still, I was not thinking too much of it, but I tried to make out what it could possibly be. But this is where I started getting freaked out. As I was staring at this thing, trying to make out what animal it could possibly be, it turns around and looks me right in the eyes. When it noticed me and I saw that I was looking at it, it gave this terrible, deep growl I've never heard in my life. It turned around and shot through the field and it was gone. The way it moved was where I realized that this thing did not seem normal. I quickly killed my cigarette and went to the house. So my dad spoke to me about what he saw and then said to me that he was quite calm the whole time trying to figure out what he was looking at. He said he got scared when he saw how fast that thing moved and just disappeared. There are no wolves in this part and also no bears. My dad has never been one to tell or even make up stories. Has anyone ever had a similar experience? I'm a personal support worker working in a retirement home. The facility itself isn't very old, seven years at most, but with any building where death occurs there, there are some strange things that happen. The nursing station has a direct view of the dining room and fireplace room. On night shift, you can often find the rocking chairs swinging by themselves, the lamps turning on or off, 
the dining room doors opening or closing, and the dining room chairs being pulled back from the tables. The second floor is where most of the activity happens. We have multiple residents who claim that there is a little boy who will come visit them at night, sit in their beds, and ask them to play. Multiple staff members experience cold spots, hear some crying or calling for help, only to find no one in distress. Growling and strange animalistic sounds are not uncommon. One room on the second floor has been turned to storage after there were incidents with three different residents. The first one started hearing bangs and strange noises at night. This escalated to her claiming she was pushed one night when going to the bathroom, causing her to break her collarbone. We moved her to a different room when she returned from the hospital. The second was adamant that something was staring at her all night from her bedroom doorway. Glowing eyes, guttural sounds, the whole nine yards. After a few months, she said she was pulled from her bed by her feet and dragged. No injuries this time, but she ended up moving to a different facility. The third and final resident of that room had all the same complaints as the others, but one night was pulled from his bed and the injuries sustained were significant. I happened to be working that night, and it truly looked as though something clawed his legs, back, chest, and arms. There was so much blood in the carpet it had to be pulled out and replaced. He says something grabbed his feet and pulled him out of bed, dragging him into the living room, all while clawing him. Each resident is given a pendant similar to a life alert to push if they need assistance. The pendant for that room still goes off to this day, even though it was deactivated years ago. I was living in my parents' house when this happened. It was a huge house, and I was an only child, so I would just sleep in random places, a lot. On this particular occasion, I was sleeping in the basement with the TV on, volume off. It's worth nothing that I've always been a light sleeper, and will wake up just for about anything. I woke up at about 3 in the morning to the sound of a person wearing shoes walking across a hard surface. I figured it must be my dad coming downstairs to use the computer, as he often would early in the morning. However, a few hours later, I woke up again. This time, I actually saw my dad walking down the stairs. I noticed a few things. One, he was barefoot. Two, his footsteps made no noise. And three, the floor was carpeted. At this point, I was freaked out. However, I was really tired, so I fell right back to sleep. When I did finally wake up for good, I walked up the stairs and was immediately greeted by my mom. My mom is one of the most rational people I've ever known. There was a phase when I was much younger where I was convinced our former house was haunted, and she would always tell me it wasn't. But this day, the first thing my mom said to me was, Did you hear the footsteps? It gave me chills. To this day, I still have no idea what was going on in that house. My name is Rosie. This story I'm about to tell you is a tale from my grandparents that, even until this day, they cannot explain. I've been told all the details and the things that happened from either my grandparents or other older family members, and how at certain times they've had visits from the other side. I'll give you some backstory so it all makes more sense. My grandparents met when they were both young teenagers and married at the age of 16 in 1958. They opened and ran a sweet shop in their hometown. Every day, there was a young boy that my nan would talk about often. He always came into the shop, every single day, with a big grin on his face. She said it was such a memorable smile, and she started to look forward to his daily visits as he was so polite and well-mannered and was always so happy. Some time went by, and my nan unfortunately suffered an ectopic pregnancy. She was really quite ill and had to have emergency surgery. Thankfully, she recovered. Once she was home, she told my granddad about the strangest dream she had, or at least she thought it was a dream, when she was in and out of consciousness after her surgery, and it was still touch and go for her at that time. She said she recalled seeing the young boy in a gown sitting at the bottom of her hospital bed and doing a beckoning motion with his hand to her with that big glowing smile. She told him no, 
then eventually drifted off a short time later and began her recovery. After some time, she got back to working in her shop, but that boy never came by anymore. After some weeks, my nan asked one of the regular locals if she knew where he was and gave a description. She said the lady turned white. She then said that boy passed away in a car accident four years ago. My nan didn't believe her. She wanted proof. I'm not sure how it came about, but she ended up seeing the newspaper article about the crash and the death of the boy. The same boy that came into her shop day after day, only to disappear after my nan's ill health. To this day, she believes he was sent to collect her, but she chose not to go. The following story mentions sexual assaults and also pedophilia. If you would like to skip this story, go to 2539. I'm not sure if this is exactly scary, but looking back on it terrifies me that someone like this was living in our neighborhood and that something could have happened. This is actually the first time I remember having a gut instinct, and ever since, I've listened to that gut feeling, and it has never steered me wrong. I will say I don't remember much about what happened, either due to my age or my brain trying to block it out, but I was talking with my mom about it not too long ago, and she helped fill in a lot of the blanks, so thanks to her for most of this information. At the time of this taking place, I was probably around four or five years old, and I was with my best friend who was also around the same age. We're still friends to this day in adulthood, and for privacy reasons, I will refer to her as Nina. On the day of the event, Nina and I were playing in my yard. At the time, we were living in a trailer, and we had a fenced-up yard so we could just let our two dogs out so I never really felt unsafe. We were both lost in our own world and didn't notice the man approach until he asked a question. He was an old man, but I can't remember what he looked like, but my mom said she would never forget his face. I didn't remember what he'd asked. I truly think I blocked it out because of the pure shock and fear I felt in the moment. But my mom said he asked where our next-door neighbor lived by name, which will come into play later. It felt like it lasted a lot longer than it actually did, because as soon as he spoke, I got a horrible gut feeling that I can't really explain. Without missing a beat, I screamed my head off. My parents came outside immediately with one of my dogs, and while my mom checked on Nina and I, my dad chewed him out, but I don't remember much of it because I was focusing on my dog. We had adopted him, and he was a mixed breed, but he definitely had German Shepherd in him because it stuck out. My dog was perhaps one of the most friendly dogs I ever knew. He happily greeted everyone that walked in our door, but this... I hadn't seen this before. He was barking and growling at the man with his teeth drawn back and every hair on his body was standing up. I was sure that if the fence wasn't in between him, he would have ripped that man apart. I had only seen him this way one other time when I was a little older, probably a preteen when an old babysitter came over after years just to chat. I had always liked her, but when my mom opened the door, my dog would not, and I mean would not, let her new boyfriend into our trailer. Our dog who greeted everyone like they lived in our trailer as well. The man left quickly after that, and I don't remember exactly what happened after that, but I do remember going across the street to Nina's house, where my parents told her parents about what happened while I assume we went to her room to play. The kicker is, her parents told my parents all about how this man was a convicted pedophile, and he was living with his brother or father at the time right down the street from my trailer. There were a lot of children and teenagers living in the trailer park at this time, and he was obviously not supposed to live near kids or school, which the elementary school was within walking distance, let alone be interacting with children. My mom then brought up that he asked where our neighbor lived, again by name, and Nina's mom disgusted and said, Oh, he knows where she lives. He knows. I then remember sitting in the office of the landlord of my parents, Nina and her parents, and she took it very seriously and told our parents to get in contact with the state's attorney, and when they were able to, the person was able to pull up his file, and while nothing specific was shared, there was a long list of serious offenses against children. He was, of course, kicked out. 
While growing up, I hated going past that trailer he had lived in, even after his relative moved out. Even after the trailer got torn down, I would go the long way around it, if I could, or just run past it because it made me feel so gross, and I couldn't place why because I was young. It wasn't until I was a teenager that I brought it up with my mom, and she told me that a few years previously, she saw something in the newspapers of the same man, because I said my mom remembered his face as well, and his name... He'd gotten in trouble for molesting the people at the nursing home he lived in. My mom also told me that before that event, she didn't even know who he was because she had noticed him sitting in his driveway and watched the kids walk to and from school as well when children played but didn't think anything of it because people, especially older people, sit outside their house all the time. But now it makes me feel gross to think about because even if he wasn't trying to do anything with Nina and I, he probably would have stashed that memory away for his own sick purposes, which is just sick, but I'm happy that I didn't get an invite to any conversation with him and went with my gut feeling to scream, and he got to meet my protective dog and dad. My story starts as a very young child living in Rhode Island. From the time I was a little girl, I was always very sensitive to things around me. I remember laying in bed at night looking down my dark hallway and feeling like something was watching me. I would hear footsteps in the attic. The drop-down door was conveniently located in my room at the time. Basically what I'm trying to say is, I feel like something has been with me or attached to me my entire life. I would try to convey this to my family, and of course, everyone thought I was crazy at the time. When I was in third grade, my family and I packed up and moved to California. On the first night in our new house, we all slept in my parents' master bedroom on blow-up mattresses as the furniture had yet to arrive. In the middle of the night, while we were asleep, a sinister voice whispering, Katie, in my ear, woke me up screaming. I know what I heard, and it was terrifying. My entire family obviously woke up from my screaming and consoled me back to sleep. Ever since that night, I've slept with pillows over my head. I'm now 22. Things really started to get creepy when I was in high school living in South Carolina. In the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I became very ill. I could not eat or drink anything without getting violently sick. I lost a ton of weight and my quality of life declined significantly. Keep in mind that I was an active, in-shape teenager whom, up until this point, had zero issues health-wise. Every test under the sun was performed, and doctor after doctor could find nothing wrong with me. It was during this time that a few things happened that truly scared myself and my family. One night while I was in my bed, my brother was in my room hanging out with me. I had a large purple box fan on the floor that was picked up and thrown against the wall. Keep in mind, this box fan had some weight to it. My brother, who was 19 at the time, was so freaked out by what happened that he slept on the floor of my parents' bedroom. About two weeks later, still very sick, I fell asleep in my room with the light on, wrapped in a pink blanket that I had since childhood. In the middle of the night, I had a dream. I'm not sure exactly what to call it. I was standing in front of my mirror in my dream with the lights on, wrapped in my pink blanket. All of a sudden, I was picked up off the floor and suffocating in my blanket while there was a shrill female voice screaming in the background. When I finally woke up or came to from my dream, I was standing in front of the mirror with the lights on, wrapped in my pink blanket. I ran downstairs in my parents' room screaming and pretty much had a mental breakdown. I cried and sobbed for hours and explained to my parents what had happened. I truly felt like it was not a dream that it had actually happened to me, and based on my reaction, I knew my parents did too. There was no faking that reaction. My parents decided to have our pastor bless the home. Things calmed down after that. Now, I'm currently living on my own, and I feel like the activity is starting to pick up again. I'll hear voices when I'm alone, and I just feel uneasy. I still experience health issues to this day that take a serious toll on my life, yet every doctor I've been to, rheumatologist, neurologist, endocrinologist, allergist, and gastroenterologist have been unable to explain what is going on with me. 
Maybe after sharing this story, other people will come forward with their experiences and I'll not feel like such a crazy person anymore. It was August of 1986, and three young people in their 20s, Colleen, which is myself, Jesse, and Steve, were trying to think of a place to go view the Parasid meteor showers, as we were all geeks and into astronomy. Steve knew of a good viewing location outside of any light pollution area up in the mountains and a clearing with a large view of the sky. It was out past Sky Commish in the North Cascades area of Washington State. We drove about an hour, the last half of being a slower drive in the dark on a dirt road up to where the clearing to the forest was. Indeed, where we were headed was in a very dark area with absolutely no sign of electricity from the city. We arrived at the clearing and Steve turned off his car and we all paused for some reason instead of just jumping out the car like we all wanted to. There was some kind of instinct that all of us were obeying to hold off on jumping out of the car. It was such a lovely summer evening, still warm up even in the forest, and there was no reason to hesitate except for this strange feeling in all of our stomachs that all of us finally worked up the nerve to say, hey, something feels wrong. For some reason, all of us were in agreement about this. Steve, being the most scientific and level-headed, seemed to have just as much of a bad feeling as myself. This happened to be at the 7-kilometer mark, which was really nearby on the dirt road. Since all of us felt funny and Steve knew of an additional clearing further on down the road, we never even opened our doors at this lonely ideal spot and we continued on to the 11 kilometer mark where another clearing was. The view of the sky was not as wide, but it was at least in the right direction to try and look for Pearset meteors. We got out of the car as we had planned to in the first place and I noticed a subtle bluish glow in the forest where I thought maybe there was a sign indicating a trailhead. Not having the hesitation from before, or maybe becoming used to it, I walked directly over to that bluish glow, and did indeed see a trailhead there, but that's not what the blue glow was from. The glow came from a person-sized shape floating right toward me along the trail. I was right at the trailhead, quite stunned at the viewing. It was motionless and frozen. With a swoop, this bluish person-shaped thing that had streamers of bluish mist and smoke-looking wisp coming off of it actually went right through me. For about one second, I felt the deepest, coldest feeling I have ever felt all the way on the inside. I heard screaming, and in my head, oh, the screaming of a woman who was terrified. That is all I felt for about one second, ice-cold screaming and terror. When that one second was over, I turned around and ran straight into my friend Steve. I asked him if he saw that thing and he said yes, and without an additional word, all three of us got back in the car and completely neglected our idea about viewing the Pearsett meteors. Steve turned the car back on and turned the car right back around it and at a speed faster than what is recommended in the dark on a dirt road in the forest, and we did not speak of it again until we arrived at the pavement, around 11 kilometers away. I again asked if anyone else had seen it, and Steve said he did, but Jesse said he didn't, as far as I can recall. Jesse did say he felt a bad feeling just like from before at the 7km mark. The three of us didn't talk much on the way home except for the odd comment about how scary that was and that we might need to look into it the next day. Steve did that, and I got the call the next morning from Steve saying, Did you read the paper yet? And I had not. Steve told me that near the town of Sky Commish, in a news column he read, a woman's body whose head was smashed in was found in the ditch at the 7-kilometer mark on the same road we were at that night. I have trouble talking about this. It's pretty scary. If you'd like to tell this story, you're welcome to. It is a true story. I think I've only told it a few times before to some people. Hey there, I hope you're doing well. I do have a ghostly story from my childhood many years ago. I grew up in a Buddhist Asian household, and we have a strong belief in spirits and ghosts. Between the age of 8 and 12 years old, I'm a girl, by the way, I had some strange encounters there. For example, if you were alone in a bedroom by yourself, you would hear breathing behind you or whispering. 
a lot of the time it just felt like there was always someone in there with you, even though you knew everyone was out the house. Just for some background, I have three younger siblings, and none of us would ever sleep alone in that house. It just didn't feel right, so we always shared bedrooms. My first encounter was when I was sleeping on the bottom bunk with my younger brother beside me and my youngest brother above us on the top bunk. For some unknown reason, I opened my eyes one night to find myself facing the bedroom door, which happened to be open. Weird how that happens, right? For some unknown reason, you're awake in the middle of the night at like 2 or 3 in the morning, and the second you open your eyes, you're instantly alert. The instant my eyes opened, I saw a man standing at the doorway who was super tall, his head almost at the top of the door facing into our bedroom. He was wearing baggy pants with boots, a jacket that was zipped up to his chin, a dark beanie and gloves. I couldn't really see his face though, it was just kind of gray. Like smoke, I couldn't see any features or hair. At the time, I had blamed it on being really dark and late at night. Boy, was I freaked out, though. I thought we were getting robbed. So I pretended to be asleep and tried to discreetly pretend I was tossing and turning. And ended up turning my back to him. Can't see you, can't see me, right? I tried to pretend to be asleep and closed my eyes and listened for footsteps to see if he was going to step into our room or not, so I would try to decide how I would react. I'm the oldest, so I'm very protective of my siblings and I didn't want him coming in there to hurt them. But if he was just trying to steal, I hoped he would just take what he wants and leave. Please note that all this was passing through my head in literal seconds. Brain was going full speed because who wouldn't be stressed as a child in this scenario? Turns out, when I closed my eyes and listened, I heard nothing. Nothing but my brother's sleepy breathing next to me. That's what first stuck out to me as incredibly weird. Is he still standing there? How is he completely silent? Is he trying to think of what he wants to do to us? Did he notice I opened my eyes for a second? He was wearing boots, so I would definitely hear his walking on our hardwood floors. I laid there for hours worrying my poor 10-year-old head off. I must have woken up around 3 a.m. or so, maybe two hours-ish later, when I saw the sun start to shine through the windows. It had been so long, I didn't hear any footsteps. I wondered if he was even still in the doorway. When I risked a glance back over to the door, there was no one there, and I found myself so incredibly relieved. Once everyone started waking up, I went straight to my dad to tell him that someone was inside the house last night and I think we'd been robbed. He instantly went into the office and living room to see if they'd stolen any electronics or money, but everything was in its place. I thought about who that guy could have been for days. Why was he in our house? Why didn't he take anything? Is he going to come back since he knows which bedrooms we all sleep in? But then it hit me one day when a family friend jokingly told me it was a ghost. And then it hit me. Is that why he was completely silent? Why couldn't I see his face when I could see his clothes? His face looked like someone took a gray cloth and put it over their face with a little bit of a glow behind it to have it look like a dimmed glowing gray smoke effect. Many years later, I also realized that even in the dark, people's faces don't look like gray smoke. They just look black in the dark, or you can make out some features in the shadows. This guy's face was completely flat. No shadows, just gray and flat. I have a lot of stories from that childhood home, so if you would like more, please let me know. There's also a little girl with short hair that many of us have encountered. Even people who we've met for the first time slept at our place during a visit, and the next morning asked us who the little girl was. We hadn't told her, because we didn't want to think about her while we had my parents' friends over, but I guess she wanted to be known. I hope you enjoyed it. Cheers. This story is my mother's, and she'd wanted me to submit it for her, so enjoy. I'm from a very rural area in southern Ohio, and in 1971, when this story takes place, it was even more so. 
There wasn't very much for us teenagers to do, so most Friday and Saturday nights were spent going to a local restaurant and showing off our muscle cars. My sister and I went there quite often, and we always saw a cop there hanging out. We thought he was a pretty cool guy as he enjoyed chatting to all of us about our cars, and he always flirted with my older sister. One fall evening, my sister and I had gone out for a drive when we were hit by another driver who was driving too fast and not paying attention. Thankfully, there was a call box not too far up the road, and I was able to call the police. Not too long after calling, a cruiser pulled up next to our cars, and the officer who got out was our officer we always saw at the restaurant. It was a chilly fall evening, so he got us in the car while he filled out the report. After getting our information, he wrote his badge number at the bottom of the paper, circled it, and his gaze met mine in his rearview mirror. While holding eye contact, he said, Here's my badge number in case there's any questions. To this day, I can still see those blue eyes looking at me in the mirror. The next day, we turned our copy of the report into my insurance. Several days later, we got a call from the local police department. They asked me if I was sure about the badge number and if I could describe what he looked like. They informed me that they did not have an officer there with that number. They even had me sit in the back of a cruiser outside of the station to see if I saw him, but I didn't. They inquired at the next town over, thinking he was one of theirs, and they even called the highway patrol and he didn't belong to them either. The man in the other car that night also backed up the story and gave what information he remembered, but still, he could not be found. I never saw him again, not in town and not at this restaurant. To this day, it creeps me out. What if it had just been me and I needed the cops? It scares me thinking that this man was impersonating one and could have gotten away with something horrible. For some context, I'm a 22-year-old female, I'm 5 foot 5 inches tall, and pretty skinny. I dance as a hobby, so I've got some strength behind me. I'm from Manchester, UK. I sometimes go out to see my friends at gigs in the city center throughout the week. I know it's a bit of a dumb idea because it's a work night, and I'm a really bad sleeper, and going to work with a hangover is always a crappy decision, but one I live with, since it's once a week or fortnight thing. Usually, I go with my mother and my uncle. Not related, just a close family friend I've grown up with. So on the way home, we all grab a taxi and drop one or another off at different places on the way. This night in particular, I went to a venue with my mom or uncle. It's nothing unusual. I do that sometimes. The gigs tend to end around half 11pm to 12am, and luckily my trains end at half 1am, so I have enough time to finish my drink and say goodbye to my friends. So I finished my drink and said goodbye to my pals and left like normal. A couple of my friends, Craig and Jimmy, asked if I needed help walking to the station. I said no. It was right across the road from the club, so it wasn't a problem, but if they wanted to, they could come. I said they could watch me get my train from the beer garden to know I'm safe. They did. I texted Jimmy and had a laugh until my train arrived. I turned around and waved to them as a last, see you later. Again, this isn't anything out of the norm. I sat down at a set of seats that faced each other by the window, my back squished between myself and the wall. I faced forward toward the doors where I got on because I get a little sick when traveling backwards. I popped my headphones in and listened to a late night rock show on my go-to radio station. I looked around the coach and noticed that I was on my own. Ah, peaceful, I remember thinking. I took my phone out once again and scrolled through my various social media and through pictures I took from that night and such. No ticket inspector as per usual. At the next stop, just one guy got on. He had his hood up and his hands in his pockets. No bag, just jeans, black shoes, and a thick coat. Zipped all the way up and buttoned too. One of those that have a smarter outer jacket but attached to a hoodie underneath. Kind of like a two-in-one. Although I didn't really look, I know the kind of coat because my cousin used to have one when we were younger. Strange how silly things like that stick in your head. He stepped onto the train and stood there until the doors closed. The way his hood was up over his head and the angle he stood made it so when I looked up for my phone, I couldn't make anything out other than a pale, dirty nose. His chin and mouth were tucked behind the top of his jacket too. I thought maybe he's cold. I don't judge people though. 
I have to add in, I'm a people watcher. No matter where I am, I just notice things about different individuals. I picked this up from my older brother because of his autism. It's a thing he's done for years to help him deal with his environment. Carrying on with the story, this guy just stood there. Even when the train set off, I thought he might just get off at a close stop. It's what I do when I'm on the bus. Next thing I know, he was walking stiffly towards a seat. He looked at it and moved to another, but he didn't sit down. I pretended to carry on scrolling through my phone. I turned my music down just in case he tried to talk to me at all, for whatever reason. My stop was the second to the end of the line, so I had a few stops to go yet. I kept a close eye on him discreetly, my anxiety kicking in as per usual. He ended up sitting down parallel to me on the coach, facing the same direction beside the window, hands in his pockets and his hood still up. Slowly he moved closer and closer to me. I didn't really notice at first until he was sitting in the seat across the walkway. I sat nervously, eyes locked onto my phone. Suddenly, an overpowering smell of ammonia and urine, human feces, and God knows what hit my nose as he edged closer and closer. He moved to have his back facing the direction of the train. I could see his face. Dark sunglasses, weird considering it's the middle of the night. I kept my music off, but kept my headphones in. I can hear him breathing, wheezy like he's full of the flu or something. This made me uneasy in itself. I hate being around anyone who's noticeably sick. I'm scared of getting poorly sick myself. He again moved another seat over, slowly, uncomfortably. I get a text from my partner Dan telling me that he's just got home and he's making us a light snack. I reply and before I know it, I feel my knee get brushed against. I look up quickly and see the guy sat directly opposite of me, but he was slouching, making sure he was slumping down the seat so his knees were touching mine. Although he was wearing sunglasses, I felt he was dead-ass staring at me. I shuffled back into my seat so he wasn't touching me anymore. I texted Dan. An entire carriage empty and a weird-ass guy decides to sit right by me. <sighs> Always my luck. He replied with, Where are you? A few stations away yet. Not long, though. I put my phone down and saw that the dude had taken off his sunglasses and was literally staring at me square in the face. I smile inelegantly, like when you catch eye contact with someone while looking around. He didn't stop. His dirty yellow face and dark colorless eyes just stared at me, and I looked to my lap on my phone. This guy is staring at me. I mean, really staring at me, and he stinks. I messaged Dan. What a creeper. You should move away. I agreed with that myself put my phone in my little backpack and got up and this guy moved so fast it was the quicket I'd seen him move since he boarded the train. He grabbed my right arm incredibly hard and tried pulling me towards him. He looked up at me with a crooked smile. I remember in those moments his entire face was yellow, his beard patchy with crusty somethings in there, his teeth were brown. I don't mean yellow like someone who smoked for years, I mean brown like he'd literally been chomping down on soil and his breath smelled like he'd been eating manure. The look on my face was of clear disgust. The sound of his breathing got more labored. Excitement, I thought. It couldn't have been exhaustion. He was just sitting down and had been moving so slowly before. I tried snatching my arm back, but he had a solid grip on me. You're too pretty to get away from me, he crackled. I'm going to do things to you. He was so explicit in such a short amount of time, I mean seconds. The things that came out of his mouth, you couldn't make up, and I'm not going to repeat any of it, but Lord knows, they're going to stick with me for years. I feel more sick now. I got mad. No one grabs me like this. No one talks to me with such vulgarity. Anger filled me rapidly. Before I knew what I was doing, I smashed the heel of my hand directly into his nose harder than I thought he could ever hit a person getting his blood all over my hand, and he shouted in pain and let go. I didn't hesitate at all. I ran through the coaches as quickly as my steel-toe-capped boots would let me, gripping my bag for dear sanity. I made him bleed. It was all over my hands and arms. I barged through the connecting doors, coach after coach, until I got to the driver's office. I banged as hard as I could, screaming bloody murder, getting his blood all over the driver door. I turned around and saw through the little window in the doors the creeper running with difficulty through the train, 
shouting at me. He shouted for his baby and his girl to come back to him, spitting and swearing. If you've ever seen Men in Black 1, where a bug-like alien takes over this dude's body and he moves and talks awkwardly, he looked like that. Seriously. I started to cry, tears filling my eyes as this impending doom filled me, banging harder and harder, screaming hysterically as this predator came nearer to me. I sank to the floor and crawled along the floor, trying to hide between seats, bumbling and tearing up and unsure of what to do. Shaking, I tried to open my little backpack to get my phone. I couldn't even see straight. My face was streaming with tears. Thud. He was in the same coach as me. I held my breath and I tried to make myself as small and as quiet as possible. I could hear his disabled footsteps move slowly. A stomp of a foot and a dragging of another along the floor. I felt trapped. I was trapped. All I could think about was going home and having a shower and climbing into bed and being swaddled up in bed. I don't know what happened next. It felt as though my eyes were going to pop out. It felt as I had held my breath for something like a world record. I heard shouting and banging and thudding and scraping. Without noticing, the train driver had heard my screaming and stopped at the next station, launched himself out of the cabin and taken this guy down. Turns out there's actually CCTV on board trains as well as the stations, and the driver saw everything unfold, but couldn't stop the train in the middle of the line without becoming a danger. Hey, hey, are you okay? Go into the cabin. The driver made me jump into... Hey, 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 are you okay? Go into the cabin. The driver made me jump with his booming voice. I didn't move. I need your help. Go into my cabin. I looked around from between the seats to see the wild man in the floor squirming and growling and swearing something rotten, eyes burning red. The train driver had knocked him down with a fire extinguisher and was kneeling on his back with his arms wrapped in a shoulder lock. I got up. Okay, in my cabin, in the back by the chair, there are some zip ties. I knew what he was about to do before he finished, and I sheepishly grabbed the bag and emptied it onto the floor beside the driver, and this monster, who was continuously bleeding from his nose, making inhuman noises. It was nothing I'd ever heard before. The driver basically hogtied him and left him to the floor to roll around in whatever bodily fluids. He called someone through a dispatch radio and explained that there was an emergency and security persons and police arrived in a matter of minutes. I ended up having to be treated for minor injuries in the back of an ambulance. Later, I discovered the crooked tooth man's long, dirty nails that broke the skin on my wrist, and I fractured a small bone in my hand from hitting him so hard. I was ages from my destination, so I got taken home in a very polite policewoman's car. All the emergency responders who came to help were caring and reassuring. I ended up having a week off work to go to the police station and give my statement. Confirm from the CCTV that I am that person who got attacked and that my injuries documented properly and go to the hospital to make sure the guy hadn't given me anything unpleasant through his spitting and scratching and bleeding on me. The investigation is still ongoing, but all I got was that the police have told me that he isn't homeless, as I kind of presumed. So he's just a disgusting, badly maintained person. Gross. They told me that he might not actually be locked away unless this isn't the first time he's done it. They haven't given me a name or any other description of him, but he's still being detained at the police station as they can't get any words out of him. I'll keep you all updated if I get told anything else. So this story isn't very long, but it's frightening to think about even now. I'm 19 now, almost 20, but I was 6 or 8 at the time. Me and my sister had shared a room. It's a small two-bedroom house, and it's a bit cramped, but we managed. We have since then built an extra room. I've always had an issue with sleep paralysis and hallucinations due to a horrible event when I was young. I've been dealing with this since I was real little, but this story is about my paralysis demon, or at least what I thought was paralysis. It started at six years old, when we moved into the new house. 
Every night I would help my sister get comfy in her bed that was parallel to mine against the opposite wall, a window in between so the moonlight can shine through and we can see where we were going. Every night after my sister fell asleep and I was falling asleep, a pitch black figure of a man would walk into our room and sit at the foot of my bed for what felt like hours. I was unable to move or make any sound as he sat there. He kept leaning in closer and closer, the springs on my bed squeaking and I could feel the pressure. It was all too real to have been a dream. The figure haunted me every night until I was eight, whispering to me, getting into my face and staring into my soul even though he had no face of his own. A few months ago, I was diagnosed with type 2 bipolar and mania, severe psychosis with audio, visual, and tactical hallucinations. I had chalked the whole thing up to sleep paralysis. The thing I find chilling is I never told anyone about it because I don't want some of my family and friends judging me and a few use my diagnosis as an excuse to blow off things they can't explain. A few weeks ago, me and my cousins were telling stories about weird things we remember from childhood. My sister told her story about how she saw a black figure hovering over me every night and couldn't sleep. She saw the very thing that filled my nightmares for so many years. All this time, I thought it was just me living a nightmare. I was wrong. I can't help but think about how scared she must have been, seeing that and unable to do anything about it. But hey, at least it's over, right? A little backstory. I'm a woman of 33 at the time of writing this, and I've been struggling with sleep paralysis since I was six, and trust me, I've seen a lot of weird stuff. So here's two stories I'd love to share. It was an uneventful day, been doing the usual, working, sitting in front of my computer, just chilling and watching a movie. I'd always been nervous before bedtime. I never know when my next paralysis will happen, and a few days before this, I had what I thought was the most terrifying. I went to bed around 1 and put my tablet on as always. It helps me sleep better and usually helps me keep a semi-awake state so I don't fall into a deep paralysis. It didn't work this night. I woke up a few hours later feeling intense pain all over my body. My mind knew what was happening because before I got attacked, I got this weird auditory hallucination cue that can only be described as leather robes rubbing against each other. Then I felt it, a huge mass slowly climbing into my bed. It felt like a human crawling on all fours, slowly making its way to my face. It stopped and laid slowly down, spooning me. It hugged me tightly and whispered into my right ear with a semi-soft yet demonic voice. Hey, my name is Odin. I panic, trying desperately to get myself away from its tight grasp around me before I finally managed to snap myself out of it. My heart was beating so hard, my ears were ringing, my whole body was cramping up. I didn't go back to sleep that night. Another one that happened maybe a few months after the incident of the demonic whispering is when I get my paralysis, I, at this point, never been able to have my eyes open and... This is one of the times where I sadly have been able to actually see what my mind does during these attacks. Day started as normal, but I did have a very stressful day, and I was more scared going to bed than before. As you can imagine, I didn't want to have a visit from the demon Odin or whatever it was. I was going to bed around 12, tablet on the usual. It started as mentioned above, the auditory leather sounding robes and... Knowing that it's already too late, my body is now trapped. In a panic, before I could experience anything, I tried to open my eyes. I heard that doing this might help. I wish I didn't. I slowly tried opening them, my eyesight flickering as I was trying to adjust to the darkness around me. And then I saw it. The most horrifying thing I've ever seen. It's extremely hard to explain other than it looked like the devil himself. He was huge, almost bending over my bed due to his size, extremely large arms almost reaching down to the floor, his legs dislocated, almost goat-like, though his whole figure was pitch black, I somehow saw he was covered in fur. 
He had a goat-like horn on his head, and his eyes were narrow, piercing white, and a huge grin on his face. I tried to scream, but didn't manage to do anything. As I made eye contact with it, the whole room started shaking. It felt like watching a shaky camera action movie. It shook so hard I couldn't see anything but blurry colors, insanely loud machine sounds started in my ears, screams of humans and other weird, unexplained sounds. I felt like my brain was going to explode. All this while the demon just stood there, watching me. I managed to close my mouth, grinding my teeth hard together, trying to kick myself out of it any way I could. When I finally managed to pull myself out, I almost fell out of the bed doing so. I ran to the light switch and lay there for a few minutes. I almost started to cry. I was terrified. I knew what I just saw wasn't real, but I couldn't help the feeling that I just saw the real deal standing in front of my bed waiting for me. I haven't seen that creature since, and I hope to God I won't either.